Welcome to the Beautiful and True Project podcast. This is a place where we talk about beauty and truth, the things that are most important to us, the things that ground us, and the things that uplift us. My guests are not celebrities. They are, in many ways, leading kind of ordinary lives, but they pay extraordinary attention to the world around them, and that makes the difference. My guest this week is Katie Galetti. Katie is a singer, a painter, a nerd in the most wonderful sense of the word, and the artistic director of Janice Concert Series. She is also a fierce advocate for social justice, asking tough questions of professional theater and opera, and frankly, the world. She and I have had many a hard conversation, and I have grown as a person through knowing her. She's also just a delight to be around and a kindred spirit. Today, we talk about the complexities of fantasy novels, death and human fragility, an enraging experience we shared at a contemporary art museum, and the challenge of living fiercely while staying soft. You're in for a treat. This week has been... I had a... Why was it so busy? What happened? Well, it wasn't busy. Um, it wasn't exactly busy. I, a friend of mine died at the beginning of the week, oh. like on Jen, Tuesday. I'm so sorry. Yeah, I haven't, I haven't really seen her or been in much contact with her for 20 years, but she was one of my crew in high school. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, we, there were several of us who hung out all the time. And... Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. Me too. How are you feeling about it? If you don't mind me asking, you don't have to share. Mostly, mostly okay. Um, sad. That sounds lame, but no. the first couple of days, where I was like, mm-hmm. partially because it, you know, it's an existential thing when someone your age we and we had three people from my graduating class die within two weeks of each other jesus seriously Um, yeah so it was it's just like oh okay i guess we can die now yeah mortality (laughs) hello great yeah Um, thanks for adding that to the list of problems right now (laughs) i mean I, i was aware but yeah but it's not it doesn't become real yeah it does not become real Mm. yeah uh there's been a lot of that in our family my uh uncle died suddenly a month ago maybe Mm. i'm sorry thank you um it was very similar though i mean he he and i weren't super close but it was also very like suddenly they still don't know what happened after a routine procedure kind of thing oh so like he had some kind of minor surgery or something and yeah something went wrong and they think i mean he like talked to my aunt that night like of course she couldn't go in because it was after covid had started right so she couldn't be there with him but like he was in the icu like away from all the covid patients like he talked to her that night they said everything went fine he'll probably go home tomorrow and the next morning he had passed wow no one had any idea yeah so yeah, and like that, it just threw me for a loop. I mean, I, I don't know if I've told you this. Like, my family has been through a lot of death, 
yes circles and like yeah and so it's just one of those things where it's just like I don't know whether to be desensitized to this and just be like okay or just be utterly exhausted by it and how this just never will stop no and like and it is it's one of those weird existential things where you're like this is real this is really real and also it just is inevitable what it there is nothing else to be done about it. You can be more prepared for it. You can be less prepared for it, but it's always going to happen. Yep. That's a very humbling and also just maddening thing. We are so fragile. So fragile. We are so fragile. And I remember telling my boss, he, he was talking about something like, trying to be respectful of sexual assault victims and being like, well, I don't want anybody that, you know, is fragile to have to experience this. And I was like, hi, don't call them fragile. Don't call trauma survivors fragile. Like, don't ever call me fragile. Like, just don't do that. Mm-hmm. And then thinking about some of this stuff and it's like, we are so fragile. And like thinking about the different meanings of that word and like how that feels in so many different ways. And we are fragile physically and it's okay to be fragile emotionally, but I never want to have to be fragile or to be deemed fragile by someone else. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, we are, we are, <laughs> we are. And that's a truth. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They can also be beautiful. I think <sighs> in a appreciating what you have kind of way. Yes. I think I think you're right. Um, I'm I'm struggling with the concept of the beautiful in this. Yeah. I mean, I can tell you I have experienced beauty in death and even in illness before, but right now I'm I'm struggling with it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, hmm. Have you read Have you read the Red Tent? Have we talked about this at all? I I read it a very long time ago. Okay. I started rereading it because I had read like part of it in college, and I was like not in the frame of mind to read it. And so I've been reading a lot of like heavy social justice and feminism works, and I was like, I need something fun to read amidst <laughs> all of this. So I started the Red Oops. Tent because I was like, you- Yeah, like womanhood. <laughs> <laughs> and then I got like three quarters of the way through and I was like, this is not my fun book. <laughs> no, I was wrong. <laughs> but I also like, it was also so important. Like I still so needed it in a different perspective because it so much was about the life cycle of a woman and like what it, what that feels like and what it felt like and feminism in a very, earthy perspective that I loved and like the way that these women relate to one another and the way that they like understand themselves being a part of the earth and who they are and that that deep connection to their bodies was so something that I needed to be reminded of Mm -hmm. and I loved that I just made but again like it still kept me in that place of like (laughs) social justice place in one perspective but also in just that fragility place and how fragile I am as a human and like how fragile my position in society is as a woman and like 
how mired that is in patriarchal white Christian beliefs. <laughs> and like, even from a book that is like heavily from a, you know, Judeo-Christian perspective, it still is criticizing that in a lot of ways, mm-hmm. even though it's a little bit more backdoor criticizing, but like, ugh, I love it. And I also was like, well, I'm going to put that down and uh, read some fantasy. <laughs> because I was wrong (laughs) Matt was like are you sure and I was like yeah I'm gonna read this (laughs) and he's like okay maybe I don't know anything about that book and then I was like oh you you were very right I was very wrong (laughs) I was very wrong (laughs) oh so it's it's interesting um everyone I've talked to has a lot of connection to things that are to both beauty and truth Mm-hmm. Um, but in but interestingly, people kind of lean one way or the other. Oh yeah. And I think you're a truth leaner. Oh yeah. <laughs> I, was, I literally the second you said that, I was like, oh, truth, yeah. Somebody said this to me that like I chafe against things that I struggle with, and like especially in regards to like authority or things that I think are wrong. And it's just like, it's okay to like argue against it, but like you chafe against it. If you let yourself not chafe against it. And I was like, yeah, because if I don't get angry, nothing gets done. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if I say, Ooh, um, you know, maybe. And if I didn't like let it get to me, it would never change. And like, there's definitely a difference between being like letting it eat me up inside, but it's like, I'm never not going to say something. The reason I chafe and it comes off across as chafing, because if I didn't, you wouldn't have the impetus to do anything. Mm -hmm. And maybe that's because I'm a woman. Maybe that's because I'm young. Who knows what the reason is? I have opinions, but like sometimes you have to be angry about something to get somebody to actually listen to it. Even if that just means saying, I am angry about this and I need you to hear that anger. Great. doesn't mean I have to throw something at you. I just had 5,000 thoughts. Um, the first is, <laughs> remind me how old you are? I never remember. <laughs> I just turned 31 in May. Okay. That's what I thought. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> I thought it was like somewhere around there, but I was like, she could honestly be as young as 26 and as old as like 500. And I'm not <laughs> sure exactly where it lands there in the middle. Yes. Hilariously, I get that a lot. <laughs> I'm sure you do. Um have you always had this fire for justice and justice and feminism? And has that something that you've, have you had that from the beginning or was there an inciting incident, so to speak? So I have always been a fiery person. I used to be very conservative. Uh, I grew up Catholic. I grew up in a Mm -hmm. very conservative household and not conservative in a way that like was ever oppressive it just felt like this is the right thing and so i i very much believed in that idea of like moral dichotomy like if it's not wrong it must be right if it's not right it must be wrong mm-hmm. and i thought of love that way i thought of like you know the first time you love somebody that meant that you loved them and that like if it wasn't love then it wasn't worth it like it's it was one or the other all or nothing and i think it was really through my relationships and through college and experiencing people that I 
started defining myself more as like a humanist mm-hmm. and really like loving people and wanting to put people first. And it really wasn't until the last few years, I don't know, maybe the last five or six years that it was like, it really became dominoes for me. It was like, well, if I believe this, if I believe that people deserve this, then that means I have to believe that they deserve that also. And it really just became all of that fire that I had towards things being one thing or the other became everything is grayscale. And unless I fight for rights that I need and rights that the people I love need, and honestly, all people, then it's never going to be what it should be. Um, my husband likes to say I have despot tendencies. Because <laughs> there's definitely. Just hang on, I need to. I need to laugh at this. <laughs> your your spine goes really straight, and all of your energy both shoots out the top of your head and collects like a vortex right in the center of you. And I'm like, okay, I'm glad that's not going to be directed at me now. Yep. Yep. It's just very, (laughs) if things aren't happening the way that I feel like they need to. And like, it was really a learning process for me to be like, this is not about me. Like, not even that, like, I should be directing or I should be whatever else, but like that other, the way that other people respond to things is not about me. Like I started saying to myself, like 90% of what people say and do is a reflection of them and not of you. Mm -hmm. And I couldn't, And like, I still have to say that to myself. Like, I still have to be like, this isn't your fault or your problem. Like you, you don't have to fix this for them. You don't have to make that better. Like people are going to be people and like that grayscale exists. There are more than one right thing. And that's still one of the hardest parts for me, but still like all in the root of that is that like if I, if I truly believe in loving people and believe in caring about people, then I have to put them and their needs first. And that means putting a grayscale first. That means considering mm-hmm. a million different rights and making that my creed. And like, that is what turned me so far, I think, from conservatism and made this so important to me because also I just cannot, cannot stand negligent or careless harm (laughs) we've spent our life trying to understand other people even Mm -hmm. if it is in a performance perspective if that's understanding how they tick to be to be an actor or to lead them or to be a team person like you you have to get to know people and you spend your time around a lot of different kinds of people and hilariously to me there's a ton of people out there that never see anybody else (laughs) like my parents, who I love and who are the most generous, kind people in the world, probably never see more than, you know, 10 people in a week. Mm-hmm. And those are probably all middle-aged white people mm-hmm. who are above a certain level of poverty line. So, like, how can I expect them to know or to care? Like, I, I, I can and I should expect that. And I think they do. But, like, there's so many more people who don't, who see even less than that. And it's like, it's no wonder that you don't think of other people as people because you've never seen them. You've never been around them. You've never been asked to interact with them. There's some terminology that we use that sets people's teeth on edge as well. Mm. Um, Like the idea of not seeing people as people. I guarantee that most, most of the people that I think you're talking about right now would, would say that that's just completely not true of them. And they would mean it. 
And mm -hmm. so something I've been thinking a lot about, um, the difference between like conservative and liberal thought is that, um, conservatives don't don't necessarily take this is kind of, this is, I want to phrase this very well because I, I mean it kind of in a oh I'm gonna be in so much trouble here that's fine let's do it um, <laughs> from my perspective from only my perspective conservatives have a lack of broad imagination when it comes to mm -hmm. people mm-hmm and I, I say it's a lack of imagination because it is, it's not that there's a problem with empathy. It's not that there's a problem with caring or kindness. Um, many of these people are wonderful to the people that they know and, and generous and kind and will be there for you. And, but they have a, a problem making the leap to that kindness and generosity extending to people that they don't know. Mm -hmm. It's why there are a lot of, you know, we run into conservatives who will flat out say uh, abortion is wrong and nobody should ever have one. Mm -hmm. But in their daughter's case, well, it was just it was just this once. It was just an accident. She's just a kid. We don't like it. But but it's OK in this case because of all these factors. Mm -hmm. And but extending that imagination to think that somebody else's daughter or somebody else's just plain woman <laughs> might have mm -hmm. similar a similar situation where they are equally trapped and equally just made a little mistake um, yeah. or not made a mistake just it's just a thing that happened but but extending that imagination beyond their own circumstances is difficult I think right. um, have yeah. you read emergent strategies have we talked no. about this at all mm -mm. uh Adrian Murray Brown who's also great, um, but it's it's very much, it very much talks about the way that like nature can inform our structures in our lives. And like one of the chapters that really hit home with me is this concept of decentralization and, um, what is the other word I'm trying to think of? Um, versus individualism. Um, mm -hmm. And then, mm -hmm. In a capitalist society in which we have been socialized to believe that competition is the best way forward, it isolates us. Competition is what? You, you broke up just the a best, bit there. Sorry, the, that competition is the best way forward. Ah, and that competition yeah. is how you thrive in an economy and in a society. It isolates us and makes each of us just depend on our individualism. Mm -hmm. Whereas if you look at nature and things that actually function best in nature, like a grove of oak trees, they are singular oak trees whose roots are intertwined. And so when a tsunami comes through, when a hurricane comes through, they stay rooted because they are actually their center of their gravity and power is decentralized from one tree to every single one of them with mm -hmm. their individual essences also existing. And like that really hit me in like two ways in that <laughs> capitalism is the root of all, all evil. I did not really kind of, but <laughs> that was not the thought. We, we're not going there in this podcast today. I, we will do that over tacos. <laughs> <laughs> yes. But also, I mean, just that concept of like, 
that being a charismatic leader makes it difficult to believe and trust in your team because of those concepts of capitalism and because of the idea of needing to be the best and the the most proficient leader Mm. and that isolation is also taught in our society as a way to be better when Mm -hmm. that isolation and that competition has actually singled out two to three people in society and crushed everyone else and that that's not functional that's not functional in long long term now i mean do i think socialism is also certainly functional i think i am probably truly a socialist but that being said i everything nothing is a dichotomy anymore everything is grayscale mm-hmm. everything in moderation and you have to you have to think about it for me because there is i mean it is undeniable that that there's something to be said for competition a little mm-hmm. bit um, yeah but the kind of competition that I actually want, which I think, well, did you ever watch Great British Baking Show? Yes. <laughs> the wholesomest show in the world. I think we watched the first two seasons. This is what I want. Because all of those people in there were, they wanted to win. And mm-hmm. they wanted to be, they wanted to, they wanted to win. They wanted to be the best that day. They wanted to win their challenges. Um but they didn't want to win at the expense of anyone else. None of them. This is what, this is what I was so, what made, I'm going to use it. What made this show beautiful and true for me is Mm -hmm. that it it brought out the best in people. If somebody's, uh, if somebody had a dough accident, the two people around them, assuming they had time, like they had a little time to spare, their stuff was in the oven. It was fine they would come over and immediately start helping to try and get the dough back together. Yep. Um, so e- even while they were striving to be the best, they wanted to be the best of people who were also being their best. And yeah. they wanted to bring everybody along with them. And I was like, why can't that be how this works? I mean, it's much easier to do it in a tent of 10 people. <laughs> true, true. But still, I, I 100% agree with that. 100% agree with that assessment and why so, that felt like it worked so well. I think I used to, I used to jokingly call myself a progressive libertarian, mm-hmm. which doesn't make any sense at all. And that's part of why I like it. <laughs> um, but it's also true. I have, I have some tendencies that stay, we need to be fierce and we need to be strong because that's beautiful. Um, but and libertarianism would work amazingly if we were all fierce, strong, smart, kind, and generous. Mm-hmm. If we all were all of those things, yeah, we could, we could have a libertarian society and it would be amazing. But let's, we're not, that's not how it works. And maybe no. we are all some of, those, some of those things some of the time. But in order for it to work, we have to be all of those things all of the time. And that's yeah, the problem. And- Part of what I also felt like moved me a lot in this direction was truly respecting everyone's truths and that their truths were inevitably different from mine. Well, this is in one perspective or another. This is the gray you're talking about. Yeah, exactly. And that like what is true for me is absolutely true and may not at all be true for someone else. Right. And what is true for them can have no meaning whatsoever in my life. But my respect of that truth is what I feel brings beauty to our relationship. 
mm-hmm. where I felt like I was not in a good relationship or ended or wasn't being respected is where that those truths weren't aligning. We weren't respecting each other's truths and it didn't make any sense. And like, everything doesn't have to make sense. But again, I lean towards truth. <laughs> so <laughs> here we are. <laughs> so by God, we're going to find some answers. We're going to find it. <laughs> Even if it's multiple answers, they will all be mm-hmm. answers. Yes. Well, earlier you mentioned, because um, I do want to talk to you about this. Uh, you yeah. mentioned how you you were reading the red tent and then realized, oh gosh, that's not the, the light summer <laughs> reading that I was hoping for. And then you switched to fantasy. I want to know, what were you reading? So we're reading several books. Um, Matt reads to me while I paint, usually, or reads me to sleep, which is wonderful. I have my own personal audiobook as an actor. Yeah. So we've been rereading Oathbringer because uh, Mm -hmm. the fourth one comes out in November. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. so we've been rereading that, and then we also are almost finished with the Inheritance trilogy by N.K. Jemison. Mm-hmm. The reason I think I we are moving so quickly through Oathbringer and through um, Inheritance trilogy is just that like they're two very different worlds <laughs> that kind of hit all of my buttons for me. You know my next question. Oh yeah, <laughs> why do I love it so much? Um, what yeah, what are your buttons? Why what is it pushing? What's so stunning, like what really caught me first was just the fluidity with which she writes about sexuality and like this concept that sexuality is an innate human and concept that is a magic within humans that you can tap into with when you are interacting with gods and like male and female don't necessarily exist. It all exists on the spectrum and how you perceive yourself and it it puts so much power into the beholder of that sexuality that is incredible to me. Mm-hmm. And it's such clear writing that is also poetic in its directness. It is so simple. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I am a sucker for a good love story, but also like it is, it manages to weave romance and sexuality in such a beautiful way that it doesn't feel like a romance novel. It doesn't feel like a fantasy novel. It feels like we're talking about humans. We're talking about humans and gods and the interaction between the two and how much humanity matters. And that is just stunning to me. Um, And she just does it in such a beautiful way. It is just really engaging. That comes up in Broken Earth 2. I mean, also, not like Broken Earth 2, the sequel. Not so much like the characters having sex, but definitely playing with gender and uh, and in a very direct but kind of casual way. Like it's just a thing that exists. Yeah. In in the in, just like in the world that she creates. It's not something that we need to make a big deal of. It doesn't have to be front and center. It's just a thing that exists. Yeah. It's just a form of human expression that exists. Mm-hmm. That's just very true that's Mm -hmm. very true and sometimes it is not beautiful sometimes it is raw sometimes it is you mean her writing yeah and and also just the that expression that she writes um and the encounters that she writes sometimes those are not perfect or not beautiful in the way that you think of romance being beautiful 
it's just so raw and simple and sometimes bad, <laughs> but also very true in the way it is expressed. But yeah, that's why I love her. <laughs> and I love that story. So the, the Broken Earth trilogy, it's funny. I, I found it a little difficult. Um, yeah. Beautiful, beautiful, gorgeous. I loved it. Um, but I also, it was almost like she was deliberately holding me outside of the story. She was not allowing my, me to sink into the story. She was mm. forcing me to stay out of it just enough that I could really look at it. And I could look at it unfolding so that I wasn't the word I want to use so that I was complicit somehow. Mm. Yeah. That's a great word for that. Cause when you sink, when you sink into a story, a really good story and you're part of it, then you're kind of off the hook for whatever's happening and however you feel about it because you're in it. Yeah. But if an author doesn't allow you that, then you have to, you have to be a witness in a different way. Mm, absolutely. Absolutely. But also like exactly what you're talking about is what I think makes Brandon Sanderson so different. Oh, you, I mean, you, you get, you get sucked right in, right? You are in it. You are in love with every single one of those people, or mm -hmm. you are your full self feels so many things for every single one of those characters. Mm -hmm. And you still get the big picture in like this overall concept of like, ooh, who's right? <laughs> or who's going to, like, no one is really wrong and no one is really, everybody's trying to do what they're trying to do. There's this part in Oathbringer, I don't know if we've talked about this, that every single time I read it, it will make me just weep. And sometimes I make Matt read it to me if I just need to hear it. Mm -hmm. And it's the scene, this will be spoilers for anybody who hasn't read this, it is a scene between Shallan and Wit mm. after she has just completely fucked up so many things. She is broken in Kolinar and just like in a corner by herself. And Wit makes her retell the story of the girl who looked up. Mm -hmm. um, and the chapter is actually called The Girl Who Stood Up. And it gets me every time because it's this this girl and this I say girl and very true and that she is so young and she has gone through so many things and has been made to do so many things and has just tried her best and it hasn't turned out the way she expected and like she has expected so much from herself and assigned her own value to all of those things and it isn't until he comes to her and says you are still valuable for all of these reasons that it just sinks in. And it doesn't even, it's just that like she believes it enough to keep moving and it just gets me every time. And I, I, we've read it maybe 10 times now. And every time I start that story, I think, Oh yeah. Wow. This it's, it's not going to get me like it did last time. And I still <laughs> end up, I still, every single time, like, it's not going to get me this time. And I still end up just sobbing. Like, it just, I always need, like, three minutes after we read that to, like, collect myself. <laughs> and and, it's, and what I love about Brandon, too, is it, it's not necessarily poetic. Like, he is not poetic in the way that, like, Rothfuss is poetic. And just that the prose is just oozes with beauty, right? Like, no, yeah. it's not the same thing. But it just is so clean and truthful mm -hmm. and real 
and it characters just... are very complex <sighs> and there's nobody who is really all good and there's nobody who's mm -hmm. very very few are what you would say all bad yeah yeah and he made a story out of making the superheroes people who were fundamentally fucked up mm -hmm. <laughs> like, he's like what if all of these people are really messed up for different reasons, but they're the ones that end up being like the superheroes. <laughs> like, mm -hmm. It's it's like, oh my God. And like, it's like, you know, that um, in ancient Chinese pottery, how when it broke, they would use like gold to remelt it together. Japanese. 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 Okay. Japanese. Uh, for some reason, I thought it was Chinese pottery. Japanese pottery. And then I don't remember what the process is called. Um, I'm going to look it up because I almost had it done to something yes. that was broken. But like that idea of being shattered and being and glowing mm -hmm. despite it when put back together, like that is what Brandon does in that story. That is just incredible. And it's what makes me love it. It's, it's the, again, I'm gravitating towards truth. It's the truth in that concept of fantasy that I love so much. So the Japanese, it is a Japanese art form. Right. Um, it, it has two names. It can be called golden joinery or golden repair. I, love I am hesitant to attempt <laughs> the pronunciation because I, I mean, it's, it's transliterated into our alphabet. Yes. But, um, I'll, you know what? I'll give it a shot. And my apologies to the, the Japanese speakers out there. Uh, it looks like it's Kintsugi or okay. Kintsukuroi. Kintsukuroi. Sounds right. Matt and I have been learning Japanese. Yeah? So that sounds right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, that. That whole concept. I think about that a lot. I like it. I like it because it doesn't hide the fact that it was broken. Mm-hmm. doesn't hide it. You're not trying to super glue it back together as if nothing ever happened. Right. Like, no, this happened. And, and now it's even more interesting. Yeah. And even more beautiful, I think. That too. Yes. I sometimes use interesting and beautiful interchangeably. Mm -hmm. <laughs> At least the mm -hmm. way I mean them. Yes. I support that. We actually covered almost all the questions I was going to ask you. Oh yeah. <laughs> I haven't been looking. I'm just like, blah, 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 blah. well, and so that's, that is actually literally my goal. When I send the questions, um, I don't necessarily yes. want, I just want them to be in your, in your mind as we're, as we're talking. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. The only thing we haven't really talked about, cause let's see, uh, something, is this something you've always had? Uh, what do you find beautiful and true about fantasy? You are a fierce <laughs> feminist. What's at stake? Uh, tell me about a moment that makes you cry. Your relationship with Matt is largely considered goals by everyone who knows you. What's the secret? I think it, I think what you said is it's reading to one another. <laughs> yes, I suppose that's probably true. That's probably true. We used to do, did I tell you we used to do like art Tuesdays or artistic Tuesdays? No. <laughs> when we first started dating, uh, we would do artistic Tuesdays because we both wanted to be doing other art that like wasn't our jobs and so we would like just just to be clear matt is a professional <laughs> actor yeah yes you produce are a theater producer 
And singer. Yeah. And we just wanted to do something that, because we both had things that we love to do that was not that. Mm-hmm. And for him, it's like writing music and playing. Um, he's an incredible pianist, actually, also. Um, I'm, I'm aware. I know. He can do just way sit too down many and things. riff some just whip some jazz out and if you if you throw something out at him and he knows it he'll just weave it right in and keep going so he he does he does music and right and then I like paint or sometimes I would write um but mostly I would paint or draw I just saw a painting that you did you posted it Matt (laughs) Matt posted it for you he did because he's been waiting to hang that up for probably literal years. I just finally decided it was, I was going to be done with it. <laughs> I have found trying to describe visual art on this podcast mm. to be a little tricky. Yes. Um, but it's, difficult. it's kind of, it's kind of what, what art deco almost, but also yeah. there's, a, there's a fantasy element to it and it's just gorgeous. And uh, is it a self-portrait? Um, It was not intended to be, but I have a hard time drawing people's faces that don't look my, like my sister or myself, mm-hmm. <laughs> which sounds stupid, but also like those are the faces I know best. Yeah. Um, and yeah, like it was, it wasn't actually supposed to be, but it was supposed to be supposed to be, I mean, it's, it's stained glass, but also like she's kind of encapsulated in her background and her softness amidst like the hardness of what that glass is supposed to look like mm, was something yes. that I was really interested in. Which is also why it took me so long because I just kept staring at it and kept wanting to fix it and change things. And like, it eventually was just like, I haven't touched this in probably six months. And I think this is what it is. Like, I think this is what I wanted it to be. I just have this need to fix things, especially with this concept of having two different things come together that mm-hmm. I needed to put it down and let it go. <laughs> and so I like I think- sealed it and Matt put it up and I was like, okay, here we are. Interesting. I th- I'm thinking two things. One, that famous quote, art is never finished, only abandoned. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yep. Yeah, that's and true. Is that, is that Michelangelo? Or at least attributed to Michelangelo? I think so. Yeah. That sounds right. But the other is, um, I'm not sure that softness lends itself to fixing. Mm-hmm. It mm-hmm. kind of has to be. Yeah. And that that's something that I find really hard as a feminist and as a like woman in business, whatever my business is. And just that like I I also am obviously very like outgoing personality and a very like what I think is warm personality and like that has made people tell me I'm young or innocent or naive and like mm. I felt like I fought so hard against that for so long that I I just did this thing for my new therapist where I was like write 20 adjectives and ask your friends like what their adjectives were and like I, I only asked like two or three people including my husband and like they kept coming back with like fierce and determined and tenacious and like those are great and that's why I've worked so hard to be but like warmth wasn't on there anywhere soft wasn't on there anywhere mm-hmm. and I was like wow, is that me? Like, does that mean that that's not me? Does that mean that like, how much do I need that fierceness to feel like I need, I need to do what I have to do? And like, I didn't really ever think about that in respect to this painting, but it it really is very true for me. That idea of her facial expression is even like that. Like 
she doesn't like being soft. <laughs> she doesn't like being in that hardness. But like there is a beauty to being able to be soft in that fierceness that I think is really important. Matt wants me to paint a pairing to it because <laughs> I have another window. It's like supposed to be like cabinet doors. Like I have the other door to that cabinet. Oh, okay. So maybe I'll paint a pair to it. I don't know. <laughs> we'll see. It'll be Matt. Yeah. Yeah, probably. That's the only other face I know. <laughs> like, let's be honest. <laughs> if you're willing, will you send me the, or allow me to use the picture that um, Matt took and allow me to put it up so people can see it? Or is that like too much? No, that is fine. I would love okay. that. I have some reference, I think. That way people can, <laughs> can see. It's easier if people can see it. And then as we're talking yeah. about it. Yeah. Um, okay. and, no, I agree. Oh, okay. So. Shoot. I'm almost out of time. I'm really seriously almost yeah, out of time. Yeah, you're fine. You're fine. Do you want me to talk about this photo of Matt real quick? Or we can what? drop that and we can have the photo of the other photo be the photo. I want to, I want to talk about the bells and I want to talk about the photo of Matt. Oh, the bells. The bells. The non-bells. All right. You know what? Oh, does anybody really? Nobody really wants to hear about that except us. Probably. <laughs> Just link the video and the fact that I can't stand people promising noise to me and getting silence. <laughs> that is just how that feels. Well, cause we were, okay. Okay. So we were went to, we went to MoMA and um, mm -hmm. we were, there was this, this exhibition of these huge sculptures. I'm just going here, these huge sculptures. And they're, they're covered with these tinkly bells, right? Like sleigh bells, little sleigh bells. Yes. And they're, you know they're intended to be moved because it says, don't touch them, don't move them. And somebody will come and activate them later. And so- Activate. Activate. At 4 p.m. At 4 p.m. So we show up at 4 p.m. We are so excited. We are completely excited about this. It's going to be this glorious, joyful noise, right? Um, yes. And these five people dressed all in black come out and just walk around them in silence for what? minutes at least 20 minutes i was gonna say 10 okay and, and then and then, and then they grab the handles on them and they start wheeling yep. them around but they do it so smoothly that no bells ever ever chime it is silent i am like <laughs> completely silent morning the morning the lack of satisfaction that i got that day i'm ah uh, you were not mourning you did there it is we were angry. <laughs> oh, so I like seriously thinking back on that. I I get that feeling again where I'm just like, where the fuck are my bells? <laughs> like, it makes me want to like look up sleigh bell sounds just to get that feeling. There had to be hundreds of bells that didn't make a fucking sound. No, there ah. were thousands of bells that didn't yes. make a fucking sound. Yes. Oh my God. Oh my God. I just was hysterical. The problem with this though, is that I, uh, when we, when we left, I understood sort of what, what the, the artist was trying to do about, about the silencing of uh, the silencing that comes through war, I think. And, and I got it. Yeah, but I was also like, why <laughs> is this but, the most effective? Yeah. 
course. So we stood there. How long, did we st- how long did we stand there? Half an hour? 40 minutes? No, like 45 minutes, Jen. I was like, maybe it's an hour long. And like they ring them at the end. <laughs> like, maybe that's what happened. So it started with a crowd of maybe 100, 150 people all around this big room. And then by the end, it was us and like 15 other people just going, surely at some point they just reach out and go, bang, 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 bang. It was all I could do. Like, I was loudly like, but why aren't the bells making sounds? <laughs> like, I was that four-year-old that sits mm-hmm. in the front row of the Nutcracker and asks when they're going to talk. Like, which I did do <laughs> as a kid, apparently. But like, that, that is that feeling. <laughs> that is what that feels like. It was maddening. Absolutely maddening. And I, and I think... I, I... To go back to the theme of this podcast, I think the problem was that it was such an intellectual piece that it ended up being neither beautiful nor true. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It just like existed in this theoretical plane right. that didn't translate to the people that were in front of me. Right. And and the, the statue. And the joyful me. noise that we were expecting would have been both beautiful and true somehow, for us at least. Yeah. There may have been people who walked away and went, oh, that was, that really touched me. I don't think so, given how few people stayed, but anyway. It could have been any sound. It didn't have to be a joyful sound. It could have been a like horrifically obnoxious, like clicking of 50 pens sound. I wouldn't have cared. Like just let them be what they are. Let them be bells. Right. By, by forcing them not to be bells. Now I bet, I will bet you that part of this is in fact the artist's intention but oh my god. Just oh my god. I was dying. I was dying. And we did a video about I wanted time. to hear. I wanted to hear what well, the sound of thousands of sleigh bells. Mm. Little sleigh mm. bells going at the same time. I wanted to I wanted to feel that. And I was denied it. And now we're all angry. <laughs> and I am still 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 reeling from the disappointment of that uh 10 months later. <laughs> I had to go outside and slap a Rodan. Yes, yes, you did that. It's like I, I can touch it, right? I gotta touch something. That's what that felt. Like. That's what that felt like. Okay, it's really true. fast. Uh, tell me about the picture that you sent. <laughs> All right, I picked this picture. I saw several pictures, and I actually almost picked a picture of us right before the bells happened <laughs> because I was like, oh my god, look at how happy I was. <laughs> look at how happy we were. <laughs> but I couldn't actually remember or tell if I had actually taken that photo, and I was like, okay, but. Um, this photo is from our honeymoon, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, when we were in Georgia. You and Matt. We just like, yes. Um, in January, uh, right before everything went down for the world. Um, and it's at sunset and it was in this gorgeous like valley of Georgia. And we spent just like four days in this cabin in the middle of nowhere, playing board games and playing Zelda and drinking wine and coffee and, it was like maybe 40 or 50 degrees. So it wasn't horrible. And like, it was just some of the most peaceful time I think I've ever had. And this photo was like more or less staged. I was like, Oh my God. Cause he like sat down to start playing our game again. And I was like, Oh my God, the sun's coming through here. Like, let me snap a picture of you in portrait mode. Cause he has Google phone. And like, every time I see this photo, I just feel that glow. And mm-hmm. like, <laughs> feel the glow that I feel with him and the glow that we felt together and that is so easy to have with him and that he gives off 
I mean, there, there is no one that has made me feel simultaneously more capable and more loved than he makes me feel. And this picture just really feels like that to me. And it just feels so like us. <laughs> he was one of the first people to make me feel like I was really me and everything that I wanted to be, which is different. I think it's different than like, there was a time in my life when I was with people that I needed to be with for the time being. Like I, I needed to experience that life. <laughs> I needed to dig into that part of me. And it was math that really made me feel like I could be every part of me. And even if it wasn't always successful, I was always capable of doing all of those things. And this, this photo just makes me feel that every time I see it. And the warmth, it just warmth. Mm -hmm. Which I feel like I've mentioned a lot lately, but warmth is something that is a very true feeling for me. Yeah. Well, and what what you just described is why, for those of us who know you, you are, what is it, hashtag relationship goals? <laughs> no, yeah. but but all of I think all of us who have known you are both simultaneously incredibly happy for both of you, <laughs> and also profoundly envious. <laughs> we're really really lucky really lucky and we're also just surrounded by incredible people I mean god you were at that wedding like it oh, was yeah. insane yeah we were literally the photos we have um like scrolling on our tv just from google and there's this photo that is you me coda um matt sarah and a couple of the people in the background all of our mouths wide open pointing <laughs> like Screaming. I think it's probably Evanescence. Yes, I think it's so. probably Evanescence. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's just this amazing moment of like all of us in like physical harmony of what that feels like. That is just really is like the, this is who we're surrounded by. This is who we have in our lives that have made like our relationship so much easier. And like we're privileged in that. And we know that. But I, Jesus, I don't know what I would have done if I hadn't have found him. I want to thank Katie again for talking with me. It is always a delight. If you want to see some of the images we talk about and a picture of the infamous bell sculptures, you can find links in the show notes or on this episode's page at thebeautifulandtrueproject.com. You'll also see links to the books we discussed and to Janice Concert Series, which can also be found at janiceconcertseries.com. As always, thank you for listening. And if you like what you hear, find us on iTunes and subscribe. Search for The Beautiful and True Project. It is always my hope that listening inspires you to focus on the beautiful and the true in your own life. We'll talk again next Sunday. Have a great week.